Thanks to the breakfast team, now it's time for discovery. This week we're going to hear about genetic modification, photonics, catfish with special powers, and much, much more. Welcome. 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 Stand and welcome. Hello, good evening and welcome to Discovery. 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 Listen to Discovery. Discovery. (gasps) Discovery. Discovery. Sounds like a lot of fun. Somewhere in space. This may all be happening right now. Now to the speeded up brain of the user, that sound lasts for four hours and sounds like this. Discovery! Welcome to Discovery, the National Science Show. I'm Noel Hanna, and this week we'll be looking at some things you might not know about genetic modification. Jackie Hayes is going to elucidate the world of photonics. And finally, we're going to hear about some crazy catfish from South America. Researchers at Queen Mary University of London have been researching how bees learn. By showing some test bees a demonstrator bee on a fake flower of a particular colour, they found that the test bees were more likely to visit other fake flowers of the same colour than if they had not had the demonstration. Elsewhere at the University of Arizona, scientists used bees that had been trained previously to teach other bees to visit fake flowers that were either orange or green. The student bees were placed in a cage and allowed to watch the trained bees visiting the fake flowers for 10 minutes. Then they were released to... to visit a different set of fake flowers, which had also been arranged in a different pattern to the original set of flowers. It was found with orange flowers that bees that had received lessons were just as likely to visit the flowers as control bees that had not received any lessons. This can be understood as orange flowers exist in the wild and would therefore commonly be visited by bees. However, green flowers are a lot less likely in the wild and test bees that had received lessons were found to be 50% more likely to visit green flowers than control bees without lessons. So it seems bees can learn by watching each other just like other animals, such as humans. Have you ever wondered why spaghetti shatters instead of breaking in half? Neither have I, but I bet you're wondering now. French physicists from Pierre and Marie Curie University in Paris set out to answer just this question. When you bend spaghetti, uncooked, It is rigid, and eventually it will break at its weakest point. Suddenly the spaghetti is released, and will flex back to its original position. This produces a flexural wave from the newly broken end, which travels up the spaghetti rod and actually produces curvature greater than the original bend. This means that points along the rod that were stronger than where the spaghetti originally broke are now under greater strain than before, allowing spaghetti to fragment into many pieces. Scientists at Hamamatsu Photonics in Japan have been investigating... ...was coming from the universe. They had literally tripped over the slowly fading explosion of the Big Bang itself. Discovery, the National Science Radio Show. Maybe we're not everywhere in the universe yet, but we are broadcast Australia-wide, bringing you the latest news, views, glamour and gossip from the world of science, thanks to the Community Radio Satellite.
Innovation inspired by nature is known as biomimetics. A classic example of this is the development of Velcro, which has, was inspired by miniature hooks which burrs use to cling to animal fur. Jackie Hayes investigates the potential of butterflies to inspire optical fibres and next-generation materials. Photonics is the science and technology of generating and controlling light, and in particular, using photons to carry information. Generating an intense and extremely narrow beam of light has been possible since the invention of the laser nearly 50 years ago, and has since led to an explosion of modern technology, such as the CD player, and amazing scientific advances, such as using lasers as tweezers to work out the folding of DNA. Controlling light, though, has taken much longer to reach its full potential. Although optical fibres now carry out international telephone conversations, most information transfer still uses electronics. The field of photonics was actually named in order to emphasise the comparison between the two methods. Electronics generally converts a physical signal, such as sound or heat, into an electronic signal that is easier to control. The flow of electrons through devices such as semiconductors is controlled by the periodic crystal lattice. In much the same way, the propagation of light can be controlled by structures called photonic crystals. When light travelling through one type of material hits another type of material, some light is transmitted and some reflected. By combining two completely transparent materials in a single structure, you can prevent the propagation of certain wavelengths of light by maximising the reflection, resulting in a brightly coloured material. In order to control visible light, these structures have to vary on the scale of the wavelength of light, about 300 nanometres, or 3 one-thousandth of a millimetre. Currently, though, we don't have the technology to produce such delicately structured materials. But what we have trouble doing, nature has been doing for millions of years. Photonic crystals are found in beetles, silverfish and peacocks, just to name a few. The fascinating structural colours in nature have long attracted the best scientists, including Isaac Newton, who first reported the structural colour of peacock feathers. One of the most diverse groups of structural colours are produced in the wings of butterflies. Butterflies have millions of tiny scales on the surface of their wings, which carry these structures, and are becoming increasingly popular as sources of inspiration in photonics all around the world. One interdisciplinary group of scientists from the University of Sydney are at the forefront of this research. They are asking one of the most fundamental questions in evolution, the question of reuse versus reinvention. When faced with the need to solve a problem, such as biological signalling, mechanical strength or the need to stay dry, genes that were previously switched off can be reactivated or new structures can be evolved. What the research group from the University of Sydney has found is that butterflies take advantage of compound structures. They reuse an existing structure, modifying or adapting it to solve the problem. This reuse approach may be instructive for our own design processes. These butterfly scales may even provide inspiration about how to actually manufacture such structures. Most organisms, when they make a material, such as skin, muscle or a hard outer shell, do so in a solution and at room temperature, which is a far cry from our current manufacturing methods. So how do they do it? An organism's cell secretes proteins into the fluids around it. These proteins self-assemble into a three-dimensional framework, such as rectangles, spheres or tubes. 
Because these proteins have charged parts, ions that are floating in the solutions around them will be attracted to them and begin to form the crystal. This also has the added benefit of no waste products from manufacture. The shape and orientations of the crystals that form will determine whether it has optical properties, whether it can conduct electricity, or whether it is going to be hard or soft. Many material scientists believe that from this research will spawn a materials revolution. By taking our inspiration from biology, such as in butterfly scales, we will be able to create materials that are not only stronger, more, flex more flexible, and with sustainable production than our current materials, but these materials will also be be able to better control the flow of light, thus enabling faster, cheaper and more efficient methods of information transfer. Thanks Jackie. Still to come here on Discovery, we're going to be talking about catfish from the Amazon. recipe for making babies. Boy meets girl and the rest is history. Well that's what it used to be. Now according to fertility specialists there's another way. This time it's girl meets girl. Even though it sounds biologically impossible, researchers from Cornell University in New York have produced a mouse that was created with the genetic material of two female cells, no sperm. The thought of applying this technology to humans horrifies many experts. However, others believe that such a development could optimise fertility techniques and make animal cloning more efficient. Nonetheless, the results are a bit shaky with just a 1 in 200 success rate. This new technique raises obvious ethical issues for the future of human society, which could explain why experts are so horrified. However, one could simply come to the conclusion that they are males who are scared of becoming redundant. 60. Second, science. 
Amanda Rad from Our Lady of Mercy College. 60 Second Science is brought to you by high school students enrolled in the University of Sydney's course Problem Solving and Communication in Science. Now Chris is going to tell us about a very exotic fish. The kangaroo. You don't want to know what a kangaroo can do. Forget the great white shark. Forget the piranha. At just a few inches long, this fearsome catfish is excruciatingly fatal to humans, and it's not even poisonous. The kangaroo, sometimes known as the vampire fish, is feared more than piranhas amongst the local Amazonians where this catfish is found. Its name gives it away. This little sucker feeds on the blood of other fish. First, the kangaroo has to locate a host fish. With its target in sight, it locates its host's gills by detecting the steady stream of water passing through them. The kangaroo then swims up into its host's gills, where it spreads its own gill covers. The tiny kangaroo has barbs attached to its gills. The barbs latch into the host and the kangaroo proceeds to bite off pieces of flesh inside the sorry victim until the bloodstream starts pouring out. The kangaroo drinks in blood until it is thoroughly engorged. So how does this parasitic little monster scare thousands of people out of the Amazon waters? How does the vampire fish cause excruciating agony to humans with enough ill luck to cross its path? What can a kangaroo do? Take one foolish, unsuspecting human swimmer. Make sure they are skinny dipping in kangaroo-infested waters. Now let said swimmer relieve themselves in the water. Are your legs crossed? That's right. The gill-chomping, blood-sucking kangaroo is looking for a water stream so that it can find its host gills. And when it follows this swimmer's water stream, what does the kangaroo find? Now think about those gills flaring out so its barbs can latch into place. And think about it chomping away at flesh until the blood starts to flow. And now think about it engorging itself so large that there is no way this fish can come out the way it went in. And now you know what a kangaroo can do. Am I being serious? Until 1997, stories of the kangaroo attacking humans were little more than rumours dating back to the turn of the century. But in 1997, urogenital surgeon Anwar Samad, working in Manaus, Brazil, was presented with a 23-year-old male patient who had been attacked three days prior. X-rays confirmed the presence of a fish which had swum up the man's urethra. When the fish could go no further, it did a 90-degree turn and ate through tissue until it entered the scrotal sac. The only reason the fish was able to be removed without surgery is that it had died and subsequently its barbs no longer held their place. The victim repeatedly insisted that he was standing thigh-deep in water, urinating into the river when the fish jumped out of the river and found its target. Although no human death has been documented, the potential for poisoning or organ damage occurs as the victim cannot relieve themselves. And what of the specimen that Dr Samad extracted? It was preserved and donated to an Amazonian research institute. I'd like to say thank you for that, Chris, but I'm really not sure what to think after that.
Okay, that's all we have time for on Discovery this week. If you'd like any information about this week's features, you can contact us on discovery at 2ser.com. In the studio this week were Sam McConey, Jackie Peffer, Jackie Hayes, Chris Rayberg, and this week's Discovery was produced by Matt Clark in the studios of 2SER in Sydney. We are also broadcast nationally via the Community Radio Network. I'm Noel Hanna, and I hope you tune in next week for another edition of Discovery. Discovery.